Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to episode 31 where I'm talking about balance, lifestyle, how to train and eat well and try and kind of not restrict yourself from anything and maintain that kind of lifestyle throughout. So I'm pretty excited to talk about this. I did put it up on my Instagram and I had so many people send me a response to the um, question box that I put up. So that was pretty wild. I think I'm not even exaggerating when I say I think I had like 450 odd messages. So good times. Love that. But there was like a common theme with a lot of them. Um, But unfortunately, I obviously can't get back to all of them because there were so many. But thank you so much for sending all of that through. Okay, so I will be talking about that. But of course, I'm going to first talk about my week that was. So I can't say much has happened in the last week. It's been pretty low key also because I'm recording this podcast a little bit earlier than I normally do because um, so you'll be listening to this on the Sunday while well, it comes out on the Sunday but I'm recording this on the Tuesday um, and I'm recording it earlier than normal because I'm going to Queensland finally tomorrow which is the Wednesday so the borders are now open as of today on the first they've opened and guys, I don't know how I can explain how excited I am. Like, I feel like interpretive dance will probably be the only way to express my joy. But, oh, finally the borders have opened. Now, I know a lot of people have had it a lot harder than me, so I'm not going to stand here and whinge. But needless to say, I'm fucking excited. And it's like Lucy and Nikki, they're having the Jagger and Stone Christmas party tomorrow. So I'm literally going to fly and get my shit together and go to this party, which is at a secret location. I cannot wait. Spending a few days on the Goldie and then I'm going to go to Brisbane. Like I've got friends who, like my friend Danny has had a baby. I've still not yet met her child. So I'm just, oh, so excited. So it's going to be intense. I don't think I'll be getting that much sleep while I'm there, but I'm really not going over there to relax. Let's be real. Okay, cool. So that's my pretty much my week wrapped up. I don't, I'm not going to delve too much further into that. I want to kind of go straight into the podcast today just because I feel like there's so many questions that I want to get answered and certain topics that I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into as well. Uh, But before we do that, let's do my fun brain facts. I feel like I need a little musical little intro for my sciencey fun brain facts, but I'll think about it. I have, it's been like eight months or seven months of the podcast and I still don't have an intro sound. Lol, I don't think that's ever going to happen, let's be honest. Okay, let's go into our brain facts. So today I want to be talking about kind of the science behind benzodiazepines and the effects on the brain and also mixing benzos with alcohol. Because one thing that really frustrates me is when people go to the GP and get prescribed some sort of medication and the GP will say, don't mix it with alcohol. But they don't really explain the ramifications as to why you shouldn't be doing that, which I think is irresponsible in my opinion. Because when someone says to me, oh, don't do that because it can cause you like a rash on your neck versus don't do that because you can die, there's going to be a huge difference as to whether I'm going to do it or not. So I think it's extremely important that GPs are explaining why it is that they're telling you to not mix something with alcohol. I just don't think there's education around that. Like recently I had a friend who was prescribed Valium and she which is a benzodiazepine I'll go into that in a bit and she was taking the Valium and then we were out one night just for dinner and she was like oh I need a wine and I'm like babe you just took a Valium she's like yeah it's just one wine I'm like you can't do that didn't the doctor say you can't do that she's like yeah and then I had to explain to her the whole mechanisms behind the fucking pharmacology of these drugs because the GPs won't do it so that kind of annoys me but anyway that's a whole different thing that I don't need to go into so 
let's go into benzo. So benzodiazepines or otherwise known as benzos for short. Uh, medications mainly used to treat anxiety and sleep disorders. So Xanax, Valium, Lorazepam, these are kind of examples of, of um, benzos. So what these drugs do is they have a sedating effect on the body, on the central nervous system, and they act on the GABA-A receptor. So if you listen to my podcast a few episodes ago about how alcohol, why alcohol is called a depressant because it depresses the central nervous system, this acts very similarly to alcohol or to ethanol. So basically GABA is one of the major inhibitory neurotransmitters in the brain, which means that if you have more of an influx of GABA over a certain part of the brain, it's going to inhibit action, whether it's physical movement, whether it's your heart rate. Um, that's why it's these drugs are used to treat anxiety because you're treating the physical symptoms of anxiety, which is normally like a, a you know, like quicker breathing, a more intense heart rate, dilated pupils, all of that. So you're trying to sedate the state that that person is in. And it's also used to treat sleep disorders, of course, which makes sense because it has that sedating effect. So if GABA is this neurotransmitter that has that sedating effect, what this drug does is that a benzodiazepine will bind to the receptor that GABA binds at. So for a, for a neurotransmitter to have an effect on the brain, it must bind at a receptor and it activates that receptor. The receptor then decides to, like the channel opens to allow an influx of either like ions of calcium or whatever, depending on where it is in the brain. But regardless, it's basically signaling an action. And if it's GABA that signals the action, the action is to inhibit. So the action is to stop the further action of other things in the brain, okay? So now if you have something like a benzodiazepine, it binds on the same receptor but at a different site. And what it does, it dials up the action of GABA. So it's telling this receptor, whatever GABA is telling you to do, do more of it. So if GABA is binding to a site saying we need to inhibit what's going on in the brain, less movement, less activity, if you bind on this, it's called a positive allosteric modulator. If you bind on this site right next to where GABA binds, it's cranking it up saying more of this action. So more inhibition, like sedate even more. So that's what a benzodiazepine is doing, Okay. Ethanol, which is the active ingredient that makes you feel certain things, what you feel when you're drunk in alcohol, ethanol has a very similar action on the GABA-A receptor. So it's the same receptor that the benzo is acting on, but it's at a slightly different site. So you've got, so this is why it's so dangerous when you take a benzodiazepine like a Valium or a Xanax, and then you decide to take alcohol as well. So now what happens is that you're now mixing two central nervous system depressants and that can be really dangerous because the amount of alcohol needed for an overdose, as far as, in other words, alcohol to get you to pass out, is going to be a lot less if you've taken a benzo and vice versa. The amount of you know, benzos that you're going to need to have a negative effect or, or, or an overdose is going to be a lot less if you've taken alcohol. So now if you're combining the two, you're combining two central nervous system depressants, your risk of an overdose is extremely, extremely dangerous. And the reason why it's so dangerous is because benzos and ethanol act on these receptors which act on 
quite a large amount of areas on the brain, but primarily on the brainstem. And the brainstem, certain regions of the brainstem are what regulate um, heart rate, breathing, blood pressure, all of that. So if you're suppressing what's going on in the brainstem, you are suppressing your breathing. So then what happens is you get limited oxygen and then that's when you get um, organ damage, but worst of all, brain damage. If you're not getting proper blood supply to your brain after a few minutes, you're brain dead. That part of the brain is dead. The tissue has died. You can never revive it again. If it happens to like a crazy extreme where you've suppressed breathing to an extent where you can't get that person enough oxygen anymore, they die. So it's serious. It's serious shit. So if you ever get prescribed something like a benzo, don't be a dickhead and don't go out drinking on it because you are literally suppressing the breathing in your brainstem and that's an action that's now occurred and you're just like limiting oxygen, limiting oxygen and the moment you start dropping the amount of oxygen that, that's available to your brain, after a few minutes, you're already causing some damage there. So... Keep that in mind if you ever get prescribed a benzo. So remember, that's Xanax, Valium, Lorazepam, pretty much anything, you know, so you'll have a brand name of a drug, but then you look at the, the, I guess, the pharmacy name of the drug. I don't know, like the, the official medical name of the drug, and it will end in PAM. So any benzodiazepam ends in P-A-M, but it might be called Xanax, Valium, whatever. Cool. Good times. How's that for a fun flex when you start listening to this podcast. Okay, let's get let's talk about something a little bit happier and more exciting. Um, let's talk about balanced lifestyle. So here we're talking about working out um, and eating and the mindset around all of that because I've had such a good response with people messaging me. This is something that I think it's relevant to most people unless you've already done this massive overhaul in your life and turned it into a full-on lifestyle change. You know, I feel that it's something that people do think about a lot and about where their body is at physically, health-wise, where they want it to be at, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what we're going to be covering. I'm going to start with answering a bunch of questions first, and then I'm going to delve deeper into a few topics at the end of the podcast. All right, let's begin. Okay, the first question, what are my top five non-negotiables? Okay, so for me, lifestyle-wise, my top five absolute non-negotiables are sleep, Proper eating, as in enough of the right foods, not starving myself. Uh, training, enough water and meditating. So those are five things that I make sure that I do on a consistent basis, pretty much daily or as far as like I would say, you know, the eating one, obviously I have my my meals where they're not like the healthiest or they're whatever. I throw them in all the time. Um, and then the training one, I train around six out of seven days a week in general, not always, but in general. But the main non-negotiable for me is sleep. I can't, I cannot stress enough the importance of sleep. If you are struggling to, you know, if you're thinking I'm eating so well, I'm training so consistently, I'm doing all of this, but your sleep is shit, you need to go to a doctor, you need to address that sleeping issue. If you are limiting the amount of time that you sleep because you're trying to get other things done, or if you've got a really poor sleep hygiene in the sense that you struggle to sleep, but you're in bed watching TV, listening to podcasts, scrolling, looking at a screen while you're trying to fall asleep. If you've got all this stimulation, but you struggle to fall asleep, you need to sort your shit out because when it comes to getting results from training, the importance of sleep is crucial. 
So pay attention to how you are sleeping. If you are limiting your sleep so you can train harder, that's like crawling over gold to get to pennies. So sleep is your number one priority for many reasons, not to mention your focus, your mental health. The rate, like the correlation of poor sleep and mental health problems is insane. So if you have poor sleep and you also suffer from anxiety, look at your sleep patterns. If you suffer from depression, look at your sleep patterns. I could, I could, I honestly could do a fucking podcast on sleep. So I'm just going to wrap it up on that. But basically that should be your priority too. The next one is how much training is too much training? Um, that's like, I don't know. I feel like answering that would be like how answering how long is a piece of string. I think it comes down to your lifestyle around your training as well. I think that's super important because, you know, if you look at someone who's training two hours every single day but barely eating and um, not sleeping properly and not doing anything for their recovery, that's too much training. If you look at an athlete who's really like got their routines down pat and their recovery is great, they're spending time recovering their muscles, stretching, doing other things other than hard training plus eating appropriately like in accordance to their training then it's not too much training so I think you need to look at it not as just training you need to look at your whole lifestyle in order to determine what physical output is too much all right the next one is how to maintain a consistent schedule when your lifestyle is not consistent so I had a few of these come up and this is people that work different shifts, people that work, um, yeah, whatever, shift work or they have, you know, their kids one week on, one week off, whatever. All right, so what you're going to be doing if this is the case is that you have to create yourself a schedule every week or depending on what it is. Like you might have an eight-day roster or a 14-day roster. You know what I mean if you're in that situation. I clearly don't need to spell it out. But whatever your roster is or that timetable or if your roster changes every week, at the start of the week – you're going to set yourself up for success. You're not going to think, oh, I'll fit in training whenever I can because it's not going to happen. It's absolutely not going to happen. You're relying on motivation. You should never rely on motivation. You should rely on preparation, okay? So you need to, let's hypothetically say every Monday you've got a different timetable and it changes throughout the week. So on Sunday, you're going to sit down and block out the times that you're going to exercise, You know, is it going to be after work, before work? Are there days that you work 24-hour shifts? You can't obviously train on that time. How are you going to block it out? But it must be done in advance and you are going to actually put it into your schedule. If someone then asks to socialize, you cannot socialize in that scheduled time. If your timetable was Monday to Friday regular, maybe you'd be a bit more flexible with your training times. But you need to prioritize your eating and your training and your recovery and your sleep as, you know, your your health as a number one priority in your life because everything follows down from that. You have to maintain a standard for yourself and I'm going to go into that in a little bit, but everything flows down from that. Your relationships are better, your self-love, your self-respect, everything is better. You are going to change how you feel towards yourself if you have these as non-negotiables in your timetable. So if your timetable for work, your schedule is all over the place, you need to create yourself a brand new schedule every single week. It's not that hard once you get into it. It might feel a bit intense the first week or two, but once you get into the pattern, you can do it. 
I have done it for the last, I want to say eight years where I've not had a consistent schedule because I've worked different shifts here and there at different studios all over the place, not to mention uni timetables changing every single semester. You make it work, but you have to prepare. If you don't prepare, it's game over. The next question, which I'm not a fan of, is how to eat unhealthy while still maintaining a lean body. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but if you want to get mathematical here, you've got to be in a caloric deficit. So whether you eat shit or whether you eat well, if you're in a caloric deficit, you will not gain weight. But you're going to experience a lot of negative uh, ramifications if you are eating shit Um, but just wanting to be lean. You're going to be unhealthy. You're not going to be able to train. Your energy is going to be shot to pieces. Your sleep will be fucked. But if that's what you want, be my guest. The next one is what balance do you need between different workouts? Look, it just depends what it is that you're trying to achieve. If you're just trying to include exercise in your life so you're feeling good, then I guess you don't need that much balance. You want to be finding a workout that works for you, that makes you happy, that keeps you wanting more. That's one of the main things that I think is super important when you're training. You have to find something that works for you. Another thing that I really recommend is finding a place that feels like a community because that's what what will genuinely keep you going back. Um, That's why I find a lot of weightlifting gyms as far as like where they do classes, whether it's CrossFit or barbell classes and things like that. My sister goes to an incredible one in Strathfield and they've got a really great community around it. And, you know, you almost go, yes, obviously to train, but you almost go for the social aspect of it as well. So if you can find that, I really, really recommend. If you are training for straight up muscle gain, then as far as the balance that you need, you would need obviously weight training, but you want to make sure that you're also doing things that are going to be beneficial for the recovery of your muscles. So whether it's something to do with stretching or, you know, something that's more, you know, where you, you can go walking or a light jog or Pilates or something like that just to break it up is kind of good. So you're not, you know, I personally wouldn't do weights every single day. You can if you're doing like a split body kind of, regime if you want but I do also always recommend that you have something in there that's going to aid in the recovery of your muscles as well but yeah for me number one as far as balance and whatever is finding something that is going to make you want to return and community is probably the number one thing in that the next question is it worth going to the gym after eating KFC that's like saying is it worth rocking up to work to earn money after I've gone on a shopping spree Uh, yeah, if anything, you fucking should be going and moving your body. You know, if you're trying, uh, I'm going to address this later on in the podcast about this whole fucking, you know, where people throw everything out the window because they've stuffed up, in quotation marks, stuffed up at the start of the day or, you know. Firstly, the way we look at things, we dramatize them in our head. We think, oh, my God. I've eaten something bad. Oh, I've fucked it. I've fucked it. So firstly, it's not that bad. Relax. You've had something that's got a little bit more fat in it. Don't be so hard on yourself. This is, you know, your mindset around what you've done is going to determine how you're going to then follow on after that. If you have something that's not the healthiest option in the world, but you're like, look, that wasn't the healthiest thing, but it was delicious. I loved it. Now back on it then it's fine. But if you're going to be like, oh, fuck, I fucked it. I'm an idiot. Now I don't even, now I can't even say I had a clean day. Oh, fuck this. Fuck it. I'll just go off the rails now and I'll just go nuts. You know, what are you telling yourself? That you don't value yourself. You're saying you're an idiot. You failed at this. You failed at that. 
Stop looking at eating one unhealthy thing as you failing. You just ate one unhealthy thing. Relax. And then now just bring it back to the moment and have something healthy for your next meal or go and go for a nice walk or go to the gym later on when if you're not feeling so full in the tummy, you know. But to think that it's not worth training because that day is now out the window is very disrespectful to yourself. You need to raise your standards because that's being you're being very mean to yourself. It's not fair. Next question, do I believe in counting calories? I think, well, is the question, okay, I'm going to answer two things here. Do I count calories? No, I don't. Do I believe in it? It's like saying, do you believe in um, keeping a budget, in having a budget? You know, counting calories is like having a budget. There's nothing that's false about it. It's, it's a measurement. A calorie is a measurement. It's not some mystical thing. So if you are trying to hit a certain you know, savings amount and you were very strict about it and you had to pay your rent and you really wanted to go on this trip and you knew that in order to go on that trip, you would have to save X amount per week. You would stick to a very strict budget, right? The same goes for calories. Now, I'm going to go into that a little bit later about my mindset around all of that. My only issue with calorie counting if you're doing it so strictly is, is this sustainable long-term? Because I know a lot of people that get into this calorie counting because they want to fit into a dress. I think that's, I don't think that's great to be dead honest with you. If you're trying to diet so you can like crash diet, slim down, count those calories, you don't go over one calorie so I can fit into this dress. It's not sustainable. And the moment you have that one event, then you're just going to blow out because it's not sustainable and it doesn't become a lifestyle thing. You know, this is where issues with, you know, self-respect and self-love and, you, you know, you're putting your value in something else. That's where all that happens. As far as does calorie counting work? Yes, it does. Does keeping a budget work? Yes, it does. So I'm going to be going into this exact thing in a little bit at the end after I answer a few more questions, but it's got to do with, what is sustainable and what is not sustainable. And if you're counting calories in a non-sustainable way, then I don't recommend that. But does calorie counting work if you stick to it? Yes, it works. But there are better ways of doing certain things and I'll explain that in a bit. Next question, what is my opinion on fasting? I do it sometimes. Depends what kind of fasting and it depends what you're doing it for. Intermittent fasting, I find... So I do a really slack version of intermittent fasting, but this is purely because of how my timetable might be set out and when I'm training. So I personally, if I'm running or doing... Unless I'm doing really heavy weights, I can train without having eaten before, no problem. I'll have, you know, my BCAAs in water and or like protein straight after the training session. But in general, I can exercise without eating. I know a lot of people prefer to eat beforehand. You've got to do what works for your body. So for me, about three mornings a week, just based on how my day is set out, I don't actually eat anything until around 11 o'clock in the morning. That just works well for me. If I'm sitting at home doing fuck all, I'm probably going to have like a breakfast, like an omelet or something. Um, but my opinion on fasting is it's great. I don't have a problem with it whatsoever. It's actually very good for the brain as well. Uh, it's good for your focus, but you've just got to make sure that overall you're still eating the right amounts of food. So if you are fasting, then when you go back into your eating window, make sure that you're obviously, this goes without saying, that you're eating, you know, a good balance of different foods. You've got your fats, you've got your carbs, you've got your proteins, 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I have, yeah, I've even done fasting in the past and my skin, my eczema, I've had, I've struggled with eczema my entire life. So I've fasted in the past, not for the purposes of weight loss, but for like my skin. And I once did a three day water fast, um, for my eczema and that definitely helped, but that was not pleasant at all. That was a fucking punish. So let's hope I don't have to do that again. That was awful. Motivation. Sorry. Next question. Motivation to get out of a warm bed in the morning. Again, you just need to raise your standards. What I say to myself, now it's fine. Now the alarm goes off and I jump out. But back in the day when it used to be a big struggle for me, I would ask myself a question when my alarm would go off. And I would say, if I don't get out of bed right now, what am I telling my future self? I'm telling my future self that this bed that I've already spent hours and hours and hours in, that one more hour in this bed or 30 minutes in this bed is more valuable than you in the future. So what do you value more? A warm bed or your health, your mental health, your how you feel about yourself, your self-worth, all of that. So that simple question snaps you out of that, no, I'm going to be in bed. And you kind of like get the fuck out of bed and you just do it. Another good thing to do is if, if you can physically get yourself out of the bed and moving, the chances of you needing to return to that bed get lower and lower and lower the longer you stay out of the bed. So if you can set your alarm and move it to the other side of the room, if you can do something that's going to get you physically out of the bed, then you're going to need those cravings to return to bed and less and less. Those cravings are the strongest when you are physically in your bed because it is the easiest option to stay there. If you can physically remove yourself from the bed, even if you think, just get up for 30 seconds, then try and make the decision there. You're more likely to be able to stay out of your bed. But you need to set yourself up to succeed. So move the alarm clock. If you're one of those people that absolutely cannot do it without hitting the snooze button or whatever, then make it impossible for you to do so. Buy three alarm clocks and set them around your apartment and just make it absolutely incredibly annoying every time you wake up they have to run around switching off all these alarm clocks and you're fucking out of bed then and then you go train next question is how to find your why with working out when you have bigger priorities well what could be a bigger priority than your health like guys I don't want to be a drill sergeant in all of this but where do your priorities lie if it's not within your own health because that should be the number one thing. That should be on par with, you know, but if you're not healthy, if you are not healthy mentally and physically, then other areas of your life are going to suffer. So that has to be a priority. You have to fill up your cup before you fill up other people's cups. It is a priority. If you're thinking, ah, oh, but I'm a mother and I've got kids and whatever, you have to prioritize your health still. You know, if you want to be a good partner, a good mother, a good employee, still your health should come first. And training fits into that. Whatever it is that you're physically doing, but you need to be physically active if you want longevity and if you want to be healthy. And that should be a priority in your life. So when you say, how do I find your why? If you don't care about having like an aesthetic look that you're going for, which I don't think should be your, your, your motivator anyway. But if it's not because of a look you're going for, if it's not because you want to be losing weight because you're at a healthy weight, if it's not for all these reasons, it should be your health. That should be your why. It should be so you can be a better person, so you can focus better, so you can, 
yeah, I'm not quite sure. I don't know. I feel that you need to look at what your priorities are and ask yourself why you are prioritizing something higher than your health. That's what I think your question should be. Next question, do you eat or train differently depending on where you are in your cycle? I know that some people do. I personally don't. I've got an extremely to-the-clock regular cycle. I get pain just on one day. I don't I don't get PMS. I'm very, I don't know, I've, I'm quite, my whole cycle thing is quite low-key and I don't alter my training whatsoever. I can train pretty hard even when, I'm have, when I've got my period. It doesn't really make a difference for me whatsoever. However, having said that, every single woman is different and you need to train in accordance to how you are feeling. You have to listen to your body. So if you feel that training around your cycle works for you, 100%, you should be doing that. Anything that's going to make you enjoy your training and have it as a sustainable part of your life, you should be doing. Personally, for me, it doesn't affect me in the slightest, so I'm not going to be altering my training sessions and my timetables around my cycle because it doesn't affect me. But do I think it's appropriate? Yeah. If, if it works for you, do it 100%. Okay. The next question is how to eat well when you are poor. Um, I feel that there's this false idea that eating healthy is expensive. Yeah. Buying organic hectic shit is expensive, but to eat well, as in just balanced good food is not some of the poorest times in my life have been the healthiest times of my life eating wise because of, you know, like I think we've got this idea that it's expensive. Do you know how fucking cheap a fucking pumpkin is? Go to the supermarket and buy a pumpkin, chuck it in the oven, chop it up into pieces, steam some greens, buy a kind of protein like a mince or a chicken, boom, put some salt on it, prep that. That's literally like $20 and it lasts you four days. You can do it. You just have to be a little bit open to new ideas. Go into the veggie section at Woolies. You don't have to be going to some hectic, expensive, organic this, organic that. In winter, I've made myself the most incredible like massive pots of soup that last for four or five days. And in it, I've got, you know, tomatoes, beans, chorizo, um, just everything, all these different veggies thrown in. And I honestly would spend for four or five days of eating, this is when I was like literally like poor as fuck when I just moved to Sydney. I would be spending about about $30 or less for this huge, huge pot, which would like feed me for four days easily. So is it possible to eat very healthy when you're poor? 100% in my opinion, it's easier. Now that I've got more money, I'm, you know, I eat more unhealthy stuff because I'm going out all the time. So yeah, that's just my personal opinion. If I was to eat takeaway and unhealthy foods versus what I just told you that I was eating, I would be a lot poorer. That's for sure. All right. I'm going to answer one more question uh, and then I'm going to go into like the major topics, which is things like uh, maintaining uh, motivation, even when you don't see results, that kind of stuff. Like I got a lot of questions around that um, and like knowing your why around training and all of that. Okay. So Final question from you guys. There were so many, but I'm just going to, you know, wrap it up here. Is dealing with nerves around going to the gym when you don't know how to use equipment but can only go during peak times. Okay, so obviously I understand that you might be in a situation where you feel like in comparison to everyone else at the gym, you feel like a bit of a novice, you're a bit nervous and that is literally the only time you can go. 
my advice to you is, you know, just simplify it. You don't have to be using all the equipment. You can keep it extremely basic. And one thing that I recommend to people that have those nerves of the gym, if you can only go into peak time, is I would pick three things that you could do with just free weights and start in the free weights section. If you go in day one, not knowing how these machines work full, like fully, and you can't, let's, let's, I'm presuming that you can't get a personal trainer to take you through all the, the equipment with you. That would be ideal if you could do that. But if that's not an option, I would go in because it's kind of like exposure therapy. You want to go in and just be exposed and then just see that it's actually not that bad. You actually start feeling more and more comfortable. But I'd go to the free weight section, pick up some dumbbells in your hands and do a set of maybe squats, lunges, overhead press. Keep it fucking basic because the purpose of the first few trips that you're going to be making to the gym is to get comfortable in that environment and just do some basic. And not to mention a basic exercise is still extremely um, effective. So... It doesn't have to be complicated and you don't need to be using the machines the first time. But that would be my advice because I feel that there might be a bit of anxiety around like, well, you know, do I wait for a machine? Do I move on to the next machine? What if the machine that I'd plan to use isn't available? Then what do I do? So that would be my advice. Keep it extremely basic and use the first few times as exposure therapy to getting to the gym. Cool. Okay, now let's get into the major topics. I've broken them down into, we've got four categories. Okay. So also, guys, when I talk about the word motivation, it's kind of, I wish there was kind of a different word around it because motivation is not all you need. And you're, and I'm, I'm going to explain to you why that is over the next four steps, but you don't want to be relying on motivation. You don't want to think, all right, when I'm motivated, I'm going to do this because there's going to be many times in your life where you're not feeling this just push from within to go and do something. And then if that's what you normally rely on, that's where you're going to see cracks. So we're going to try and find ways to set yourself up so you're not having to rely on motivation alone. Because while it feels great to be motivated, that shouldn't be the only thing that you're banking on to make change in your life. Okay, so number one, you do not have to start on a Monday or on the next morning at the start of the day for you to be able to achieve goals. This is kind of what I was talking about with that KFC question as well. Your body doesn't know the difference in the sense of if you're starting um, this new lifestyle as of midday today or as of Monday next week, how is your body going to know? You know, we've got this idea in our head that unless we start the day well, it's a write-off. Or some people, unless we start the week well, it's a write-off, which is absolutely ridiculous. It's the same example that I used before. Like if you bought something expensive on a Monday, does that mean that you're like, oh, fuck it, fuck my bank account, I'll just blow all my savings that I've spent the last few weeks working towards, I'll just blow it all because I, I bought one thing that was out of my budget. So because I bought that one thing that was out of my budget, why respect all the hard work that I've done? The damage is done. My bank account is now fucked. There's no going back. Let's blow it all. You don't do that. So don't do that with how you treat your body, with what you're eating. You know, it's okay to spend a bit more money out of your budget on something that brings you happiness. Just like it's okay to eat that meal or that cake because it brought you joy in the moment. But then pull yourself back into line for the the other things that you want to be doing. Like then your next meal should be healthier. That's kind of, you need to 
really look hard at that mentality of, you know, oh, I've blown out and look at it. It's, it's, it's very ridiculous. It's a pathetic mentality to have. And often we don't realize how pathetic it is because we've never paused to look at it coldly, but it is ridiculous. So you need to, you need to be a bit more accountable because that mentality is trying to push the blame onto some onto something or someone else. You're pushing the blame being like, oh, how could I continue being healthy for the rest of the day because I've blown out? You're making excuses and that's ridiculous. You are an adult. You are not a child. It is not a bad thing that you ate that unhealthy thing in the morning. It is fine. You've not ruined the day. You've not ruined anything. You just ate a cake or you ate something or you had a sugary cocktail. It's fine. If you get around the headspace that it's fine, then you're not going to look at your day as a write-off and that the day has been ruined and that everything's fucked now. You know, it's so dramatic, that mentality. And you you are being disrespectful to yourself, disrespectful to, you know, everything you've done in the build-up to get you to where you are. Stop looking at small things as having damaged or ruined your day. It's not the case. It's not a cheat. You haven't cheated. You've just eaten something, okay? It's fine. If you look at it as not being dramatic, then your chances of being able to then resume a, a balanced, healthy day for the rest of the day are a lot higher. If you look at this one incident as a massive, big issue, then you're going to be like, oh, no, 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 fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. I'll, I'll start tomorrow. Stop it. Stop doing that immediately. That's the number one thing you need to, you need to hit. Number one, you're going to stop that language. You're going to stop that mentality. Now, the second thing that I'm going to be covering is... And this comes from, I had a lot of questions saying, how do you maintain motivation when you're not seeing results? Or some people saying, look, I've been doing, I've been eating well, I've been training, you know, six days a week and it's been a month and how am I maintaining that motivation? I'm not seeing any results whatsoever. Look, there's probably, there's a, I can't obviously address specific cases like that because I don't actually know your lifestyle. If you're in a, a situation where you genuinely, want, let's say you're wanting to lose weight and you genuinely are eating well and you are training all the time and you are seeing zero difference then I think you need to go and see a professional either someone that's going to specialize in you know diet or nutrition or a trainer because something's up here something's up here why you're not seeing any change whatsoever but in general so I can't unfortunately I can't address exactly that that's that needs to be covered by someone that knows your case but in general my my thoughts on this is I think if you're thinking I just need to lose this weight and I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm working really hard and I'm not seeing results, it's what results are you looking for? What is it that you're trying to achieve? Because put it this way, what happens when you achieve the results? Let's say you achieved the results. Let's say you had your dream body. Would you still be training all the time? Would you actually though? Ask yourself, would you be training all the time still? Because for me, my body hasn't changed in years, but my training has stayed just as consistent. I mean, I've gotten stronger, but as far as looks-wise and how I feel, it's been, it looks the same, you know, everything's pretty much the same. And my, but the way I have my lifestyle has stayed the same. And the reason for that is because I never was like, oh, I wish I could, you know, grow muscle here or do that there. But when I get that, whatever, you have to raise your standards for what you consider your lifestyle to be, who you are and why you're training. So take away aesthetics, take away weight loss. I'm not saying you shouldn't aim for that, 100%, 100%. But if you had those things, 
what I'm saying is if you're going, if you're aiming for those things and that's why you're doing what you're doing, it means that when you get it, you would stop. That's the problem. So you want to set your lifestyle up to say the reason I do these things is to fuel my body, is to get me to the healthiest place so I can be the most like the best version of myself. So my focus is sharper. So my sleep is better. So I live longer. So I'm healthier. So I don't have injuries. So I feel good. Those should be your reasons. The good thing about that is that, you know, you're going to have all these positive side effects of that. You're going to, you know, be heading towards, you know, the the way you want to look or if you want to gain muscle, you'll be heading towards that muscle growth. All these things are going to start falling into place for you. But what you need to be doing is raise your standards of what you think you should feel and what your life should be like. You should feel healthy all the time. You should feel full of energy all the time. You should feel that you had a great night's sleep and eating properly and training consistently is going to get you there. Also, if you can't make something a lifestyle change, then it's it's no point implementing it. It's no point. And it's really detrimental to your mental health if you crash diet to achieve a physical like look you crash diet to get there you're happy and relieved when you get there and then you blow out and looking at that journey that you went on of like the suffering of that crash diet getting to your goal body that you wanted to have and then because it's not sustainable you then gaining all the weight back on and often more weight your lifestyle kind of goes out the wind everything goes out the window that is not great for your mental health because you're looking at this yo-yo back and forth, back and forth, feeling like, oh, I can never keep up. I'm always like chasing my own tail. I can't, I can't, I can't. It's because it's not sustainable. It's because can you, if you're doing a crash diet, it's something that you could sustain for two years, three years. No. Anything that you want to implement in your life as far as diet, you've got to ask yourself, can I sustain this long term? If you're thinking, I'm going to cut out carbs so I lose weight, what hap- well, Are you going to cut out carbs for the rest of your life? Because what's going to happen when you reintroduce the carbs? It's like saying, you know, I'm going to start training so I lose weight. And then you do lose the weight. And then, what, and then imagine if you just stopped training after that. You're going to gain the weight back on. So if every time you're going to implement something in your life, you have to ask yourself, could I do this long term? If the answer is no, it's not a good idea. If you look at people who are living a life where you think, wow, it looks like that person can kind of eat what they want. They've got a really good lifestyle. So for example, let's look at me. I get asked all the time, oh, it looks like you can eat what you want. It looks like you can this. It looks like you can that. Oh, lucky, 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 lucky. Whatever. I don't care what you think. But for me, the reason it's not a struggle for me is because everything I do now in my life, I've raised my standards of what is acceptable and what's not acceptable in my life. And I follow that. But when I eat... I eat well and clean, I would say 75% of the time. 25% of the time I'm out eating something that's not, you know, the healthiest thing in the world, but whatever. As far as my training, I personally love to train. So I do it often and I do it for not really fit. Well, yes, I do it for physical reasons, but I would say 50% of the reason that I train is because of the focus, the mental clarity that I get straight after a session. When, I'm, when I've got a study, when I've got an assessment, when I've got to record a podcast, you can bet that I'm training before I do that. 
and then I sit down and my mind is sharp. So I can see the direct benefits of training and, you know, me applying myself in something that I think, you know, needs my focus. So I've set things in place that, and I've found training that works for me. So when you see someone that you're thinking, yeah, but they're lucky because they love training or they're lucky because of this, because of that, that can be you. That can be you. It's just that these people that are doing what you want to be doing have just tweaked things in their life and they have created a new standard for what is acceptable. Whereas, you know, if you were, for example, if I was to say to you, are you able to do 10 squats a day? You would look at me and be like, yes, you fucking idiot. Of, of course I can do 10 squats a day. Okay. Now what if I said, now that is your standard. You have to do 10 squats a day for the rest of your life. Is that sustainable? Yes, of course it's sustainable. I can do, t- that's easy. So then you started doing it. Now imagine if like it became part of your morning routine, your ritual. And then if I said to you, right, you're going to go on a holiday, but you're not going to do any of those squats. You would kind of feel a little bit like, you yeah, well, fuck, why not? Like why, if it's just 10 squats, why can't I do it? It makes me feel good in the morning. It's literally 10. Why can't I do it? That is what I mean about raising your standard of what is the new reality for you. So you can start small and build on it. Those 10 squats could be, you know, you go for a one kilometer walk. One kilometer, that's nothing. Of course I could do it. Why not make it five kilometers? You know, it starts off, you can start, you add, it's like a grain of sand, a grain of sand, a grain of sand, and then you've got a fucking sandcastle. You know, you could do this every single day where you're just adding slowly so those 10 squats can turn into 10 squats and then a one minute plank. Imagine doing that every single day. Imagine going from nothing to doing 10 squats and a one minute plank and then imagine adding the walk on top of that and you did that every day every morning and you felt really good that's now your new standard if you were to do it every day and you found something that made you feel good about yourself but in your own skin and your body felt good would you do it yes and then if I said now you're not allowed to do that for a week you would turn around and say why I need to do it because it's now part of my ritual it's part of my habit it feels good to do it it's it's me that is what I mean by raising your standards. You can get it to a point and it doesn't have to be overnight, but you can start to tweak things in your day where you can get it to the point where it it is a non-negotiable, not because you are forcing yourself to do it, but because you see how it benefits your life big time. You see how it, it clicks into your routine. The brain loves routine. The brain loves repetition. And if you're doing this every single day, I can guarantee you, if you can start implementing these, you can start small, these little things in your life, I can guarantee you, you will get to a point where if someone said to you, now don't do it for a week, you would be bummed that you couldn't do it because it is your new standard. Okay. So try that. Try starting small. I don't care how small, but Start small and then make it a non-negotiable in your life. I swear to you, even if it's 10 squats a day, I'm telling you right now, today, write down what it is that you're going to do every single day. I don't care how little it is, but it is now a non-negotiable in your life. What is it going to be? Choose something. Now, the third thing is basically know the importance of rituals and routines. And like I said, it's okay if you have a... um, what's it called, a schedule that changes every week. You can still have rituals and routines. You can. So what I normally do, and I've spoken about this a million times, I think, on my podcast, but I've got my morning ritual, which is goes for half an hour. Normally, I get up, I, you know, I'll, I'll have my glass of water, I'll meditate, 
I'll write down what I'm doing for the day, what I've got on. I'll have a coffee and then not until then. Oh, and then I'll go exercise. But just before exercising, will I check my social media? Now, of course, there are going to be mornings where I don't, I might not do all of that. I might be, you know, staying at someone's house or I might be away on holidays and, you know, but that doesn't mean that I then can't slot in, you know, the meditation, the list of what I'm going to do and the coffee, that little 20 minute block, it doesn't mean that I can't then slot that block somewhere else. So create a ritual for yourself and don't be so hard on yourself if you don't do it at the exact same time one day, it's fine. Another thing that you can do is you write a list of things that you want to get done every single day. My advice to you would be start small with that list. Don't overwhelm yourself because then that's just another thing that you're going to be attacking yourself for if you don't get it done. But for example, like my list would include, um, I want to have a form of exercise in the day. I want to make sure I drink two liters of water. I want to meditate. I want to do like 10 minutes of um, a French podcast, like news, like French news, just so I'm exposed to the French language. I want, you know, so there's like a, a list of things to do to tick off. And at the end of the day, I go and see what of that list I could get done. If you get all of them done, that's amazing. But even if you're getting, you know, 80% of that list done, like I said, start small first, but you can start adding to that list and you'll get to a point where you include that so heavily as part of your day because as it is there are already rituals that you do that are good and bad that you have in your life whether you like it or not so you can add things and they're going to become such a deep part of your life pattern that you're going to then be doing it because you want to do it because it makes you feel good and it you know it soothes that part of the brain that craves consistency and craves like ritual and repetition you're actually going to be feeling good and it's going to actually serve your happiness by doing these things not initially because it's not going to feel like part of your ritual but once you've done it for three four five weeks then it will and if you don't do it that day you're going to be like oh I kind of wish I did do that you know because it feels right the last one number four is stop comparing yourself to your past self So if you're in a situation where you're like, I used to do this, but now I'm not doing that. I used to do this, but now I'm not doing that. That's not beneficial. That is not helping you. And the problem with that is that if you think, okay, let's say, oh, I used to be able to train every single day and I was eating really well and I was doing that for six months. But then all these things, all these events and situations occurred in my life where I stopped all of that. Now I want to get back into it. The problem with that mindset is if you try and get back into it to the intensity that you used to do it before, because you knew you were capable of doing it before and you fall short within your eyes of what you think you should be doing, you're going to be so hard on yourself, so much harder on yourself than if you were looking at it like a fresh start. You've got to understand that things are going to happen in your life. Roadblocks are going to occur. Speed bumps are going to happen and you can't continue to compare yourself to your past self or what you used to do as a routine and what your old routine was. This is a new routine. This is a new day. It is okay to start off doing 50% of what you used to be capable of. It is okay to do, you know, have more rest days than you need to. You could be coming back from an injury. If you can't have a level of understanding for your own self, then you are doomed to let yourself down. 
you're doomed to have a negative relationship with yourself and not only that, a negative relationship around eating and training and all of that. You should look at everything that you're doing in your life as like a holistic thing where you're kind of trying to hit all these different things to include them in your life so you feel good. You know, you shouldn't be trying to run away from feeling bad. You should be using those things so you can run towards feeling good. And a lot of these things come down to how it makes you feel good mentally. You need to be finding certain training sessions that make you feel good in your mind, make you feel calmer, make you feel more focused and happier, that regardless if you were seeing the results at the rate that you wanted to see physically, it wouldn't matter because you feel better inside. Your relationship with yourself is better. There's no better form of self-love than raising your standards and doing things for yourself and saying, I'm my priority today. I need to train because it makes me feel really good in the head. It gives me a really clear mind. I feel calm. I sleep so much better. I wake up, you know, bouncing out of bed because I've maintained like this relatively healthy lifestyle. And I feel so good that if I go and have that burger tonight, good times, love that for me. And then tomorrow I'm going to go and train. That is what a balanced lifestyle is. Understanding that the reason you're doing all of these things is not for this one outcome. It's for your overall health and for your self-love. I can guarantee you if you raise your standards and say these are now non-negotiables in my life because I do this so I can feel good, so I can feel good about who I am, then it doesn't matter if you lose those 10 kilos or not. It does not matter as far as your self-worth and your self-love. That weight loss is probably going to come as a result, but maybe slower. And that's fine, but you're still doing things that are keeping your body healthy. If your why is your health and especially your mental health, then you're going to be able to like sustain this lifestyle long, 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 long term your whole life. And then, then if you want to be doing, I want to like ramp it up because I feel like I can be fitter or I can feel like I can gain muscle. I feel I can be stronger. Then you're able to do that and it slots in perfectly into your lifestyle. But if you're going from a lifestyle where you've not done any of that, And then you're thinking, I need to do this, I need to do that. You end up slamming your body and then feeling really shit about yourself. So then slamming your mind. And that's just, it's just a a a recipe for disaster. So implement all these things that I've been talking about. Create these rituals. Be kinder to yourself. Stop comparing yourself to your old self. Understand your why. Understand that it's overall got to do with your health. You know, understand what your life priorities are and you should be the priority Your health should be the priority. There's all these things. And and again, don't think that if you do one cheat, quote unquote, cheat meal, that you've ruined it. Stop looking at it as such a negative, horrible thing. It's okay to eat that burger. It is okay to do these things. You can then jump straight back into eating something nice and wholesome and healthy for your next meal. So stop being so hard on yourself, but at the same time, be fucking accountable, you know, When you make excuses, that's the problem. So just don't be so hard on yourself. When something happens, be like, you know what? The reason this happened is because I did it or because of this happened. But I'm not going to be hard on myself. I'm just going to understand that for my next meal, I can do this. Not a big deal. You know, take the emotion out of these things because that when you pull emotion into it, then you become really... um, self-deprecating and then that's where binge eating comes in that's where like really um um self-abusive behavior start to come in if you don't respect yourself all this shit is gonna all these negative behavioral patterns will start to unfold 
But if you, if your number one thing is I respect myself, I'm doing this because I love myself, I'm doing this because I want to feel good, good. then when something happens where normally you would have beaten yourself up about, now you're going to do it, but you've removed the emotion from it because you're not beating down on yourself anymore and you're thinking, okay, I had that burger, okay. Too bad, so sad, whatever, good times, loved it. Delicious, next meal will be different, okay? You need to take the emotion out of these things and you need to be nicer to yourself. And then everything will slowly but surely fall into place. All right? Amazing. Guys, there were so many more questions. I honestly wish I could have answered them all. I genuinely do. But it was just wild. Love you guys so much. Please be kind to yourselves, especially on these journeys like this. The kinder you are to yourself, the quicker things will fall into place for you. I can guarantee you that. You have to be on your side though. You can't be in a battle with yourself because then it's this back and forth. Okay? So be kind to yourself. Be kind to other people. Don't take shit from other people and don't take shit from yourself. Love you guys so much. Please continue to share the podcast as you guys always do. I really appreciate it and it helps keep my podcast growing and growing and reaching more and more people. So I really appreciate every time you guys share it. It means the world to me. So thank you so much. Love you all. Danke. Speak to you next week.